So I'm pumped. We're continuing our uh, series we started last week. We have titled Circles, Who Do You Let In? And I quoted the great philosopher Paul McCartney last week. That somebody's knocking at the door and somebody's ringing the bell, do me a favor and open the door and let him in. Let him in. And we talked about our relationship with Christ. That middle circle last week is so important. And uh, we're going to kind of move out from it today. And I want to talk to you about marriage. Marriage is a very interesting thing. So maybe you're sitting here and you're going, you know what, I'm, I'm single. And uh, I'm, I'm a high schooler. This is for you. This is for you, Jesse Cash, my 15-year-old stud, dude. I'm trying to give all my kids some insight. Josh, Hannah, come on now. This is for y'all. This ain't just for people that have been married for 30 years and trying to figure it out still. Chad, Lane, I know y'all been married for a long time, brother. Long time. Long time. <laughs> what does that mean? It's been short, though. It's been short. Yeah, look how cute you are, Chad. It's a beautiful thing. So it's going to be a really, really fun day. Here, here's, what, here's what we know. Here's what we know. We know getting married is easy. But we know staying married is work. Come on. If you think it's easy, you are crazy. I'm telling you the Cinderella syndrome that so many girls have when they walk the aisle, that erodes by the time you walk out of the church, baby girl. Now, look at this couple right here. This is Steve Trailer's mom and dad. They just celebrated 72 years of marriage. Is that not great? 72 years, JB and Linnell, and uh, we, we were talking, Steve and Patty renewed their vows last Friday night here. That was a great time, Patty, for you guys and just uh, to be a part of it, but JB and Linnell were there, and they were sitting right there on the front row, and uh, I was talking to him, and he looked at me, and he said, 72 years, you're right, big guy. He said, we're shooting at 75. I'm like shooting at 75 years. And it's so funny. If you look at him right here in this photo, she probably weighs wet, 85 pounds. He's about a buck 25, which means combined, they don't weigh as much as I do. <laughs> and Steve, Steve, uh, he, he was telling me about his mom, and it, it's so awesome. He said when they had that 70-second kind of anniversary that uh, Rachel Ramos, who's in our fellowship here, Rachel and uh, Cheryl had baked this nice, like, anniversary cake. And he says, when we got there, we were so fired up. He said, Mom had baked three her, of her own cakes. <laughs> and I said, I bet Rachel's cake didn't really get eat. Because <laughs> them old, I'm telling you, man, my grandmother used to make those cakes. They were so awesome. But here's the funny thing about it. We were over there about a year ago having lunch. And Miss Linnell who's about two years older than JB, looked at us and said she was concerned that JB was eating too much. <laughs> he was an only child. She's one of 11. Steve said to this day, she'll still look at him and say, that only child syndrome, I don't know if it's going to ever get out of him. <laughs> is that not funny? Getting married is easy. Staying married is work. So as I started working on this, I was like, you know, Mickey and Julie, my secretary, and, 
and Sammy, our children's director, they don't really get to take part in many sermons around here. So I said, I, I want you girls to do a little research, and I want you to come back and give me what would possibly be the 10 greatest rules for a healthy marriage. So here's their contribution to our sermon today. Here's what they came back with. Number one, the female always makes the rules. <laughs> Derek, I'm praying for you, my brother. <laughs> Number two, the rules are subject to change at any time without prior notification. Come on, guys. Number three, no male can know all of the rules. If the female suspects that the male knows all the rules, she must immediately change some or all of the rules immediately. Number five, the female is never wrong. If the female is wrong, it's because of something the male said or did. The male must apologize immediately for causing the misunderstanding. This ain't y'all's house, is it? Number seven, the female can change her mind at any time. The male must have written consent from the female if he is to change his mind. Number nine, the female has every right to be angry or upset at any given time. The male must remain calm at all times unless the female wants him angry or upset, but the female is never required to let the male know whether she wants him angry or upset. <laughs> now you know why they contribute little to our sermons here. <laughs> oh, what a trip. So marriage is God's idea. It would be wise to write this down. Marriage is God's idea. And it is the only institution that was inaugurated and established before sin entered into the world. And so God lays out this blueprint in Genesis chapter 2. And I want to read some of this for you this morning. Genesis chapter 2 beginning in verse 21. But I want you to think of God's design. God's design. God is the orchestrator, the initiator. He is the one who establishes what marriage is. And so maybe you come in here today and you're going, you know what, I'm single or I was, I, I, I've been married and divorced and, you know, I, I, I kind of find myself at a new season. This ain't a guilt trip. This is a God trip, but this is a blueprint. No matter where you're at in the journey, I, I pray that you would open your heart and let the Lord speak to you because it's not too late to get it right. Come on. It's not too late to do it right. So Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 21, says this. God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Now you go back into the early pages of Genesis. God creates man in his image. God creates him out of dirt. God breathes into the nostrils of man. Man becomes a living soul. So man and God are hanging together. Man, I want you to name all these animals. You get all this uh, ruling and reigning piece that I've assigned to you. And then God causes a deep sleep to fall on the man, which means the ana, uh, angel of anesthesiology enters the Garden of Eden, and he puts Adam to sleep. It's a God thing. Number two, God took one of the ribs out of Adam and closed up the flesh at the place that he had removed the rib. Who did the rib removing? God. What rib did he take? 
Not his spare rib, but his prime rib. He removed a prime rib from Adam. Okay? Then God fashioned into the woman the rib which he had taken from man, and God brought her to the man. Now, God caused the sleep. God took a rib. God fashioned into a woman the rib that he had taken, and God brought her to the man. Who did all this? God. Whose idea was this marriage stuff? God. Whose idea was this whole thing of, of a man and woman existing on the planet? God. It's all God's design. Now, now, now follow this. Then the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. The, the name for man in the Hebrew is the word ish, and the name for woman is the word isha, which means out of the man. Now listen, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Now, when this statement is made, there is no moms, there is no dads, there's no grandparents, there's no siblings. You've got two people on the planet. But the prophetic word from God now is echoed. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. He shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall be joined together or weave together and become one flesh. When was that statement made? That statement was made when there was only one man and one woman on the planet. So this whole blueprint and this whole design, when you look at it from a biblical paradigm, listen to me, marriage is God's idea. Now this leaving, this cleaving, this weaving, this becoming one is a lifelong process. Now the leaving may happen immediately, but that cleaving and weaving and that joining together, man, you're constantly having to work on it. Listen to what Dennis Rainey said. Dennis Rainey does a lot of family life conferences throughout the world. Dennis Rainey said, when two people entered into a marriage covenant, let me give you a working definition for a marriage covenant. This is important. It's a binding will that is agreed upon that is to last a lifetime with an imperfect person of the opposite sex. It is a binding will that two imperfect people now, because of sin, come together, but you're doing it with a person of the opposite sex. Marriage is always defined biblically as a man and a woman, ish and isha coming together. So anytime you hear these political correct statements that these marriages are taking place and it's not male and female, man and woman, it's not a marriage. He goes on to say, when these two people entered into a marriage covenant, a goat or a lamb would be slain and its carcass would be cut in half. With the two halves separated and lying on the ground, the two people that had formed the covenant would solemnize their promise by walking between the two halves, and they would make this statement. May God so do to me, cut me in half, if I would ever do anything to violate this covenant vow with God. Now, do you see the sacredness of marriage? From as far back as we can study, this is a very, very sacred, God-ordained, God-established-before-the-fall-of-man plan. Now, three things I want you to see. Number one, it's holy. It's initiated by God. Marriage is God's idea. Now, on the back of our Connect card today, 
our next step, one of them is memorize Hebrews 13, 4, and 5, which says marriage is to be held in high honor. The marriage bed is to be undefiled. Stay away from the love of money and all this stuff. Free yourself up. Focus on God. And just as God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is the promise that God makes under the new covenant. Covenant, meaning I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to go anywhere. But it's the same oath and vow we take when we enter into covenant. The problem in our society is people treat marriage as if it's a contract and not a covenant. Which means you can break it, terminate it, get out of it, whatever. But in God's blueprint, Marriage is very sacred. It's holy. It's initiated by God. Number two, it, it, it involves an irrevocable promise. It's an irrevocable promise, oneness with an imperfect person of the opposite sex for a lifetime. And three, it's to glorify God. So when you see God laying out what a marriage is to look like, when Barb and I got married almost 25 years ago, your marriage is to be a representation to the world of what your God is about and what his holiness is about and what's, what keeping an irrevocable promise looks like. Come on. Now, a lot, a lot of us find ourselves in here today and you go, man, I've been beat up, I've been betrayed, I've been rejected. And a lot of people find themselves in divorce for many different reasons. I, I, all I want to say again is this. This is not to guilt, shame. It's not to beat anybody down to condemn you. This is to offer you a blueprint of hope of how to build going forward. Now, come on. This is important. Ephesians chapter 5, another one of those powerful texts in the Bible regarding marriage. Now, I'm going to use this triangle, and I'll get to it in a second. But listen to what the text says right here. Ephesians 5. And if you've got your Bible and you open it up, the problem with our Bibles when we get to this text in Ephesians 5 is most of the time over verse 22, it will say marriage and it will say husbands and wives marriage in verse 22. That is a very terrible place to start. Whoever put those little subcaptions over the text, oftentimes, man, they did it in the wrong place. Just hear me out. Verse 21. Listen to what verse 21 says. Verse 21 says, be subject to one another in reverence to Christ. Now, this is crucial as you deal with the marriage paradigm, which means you've got a man, you've got a woman, they come together. The closer we get to God, the closer we become to each other. Look at it. The closer I am to, to Christ Jesus in my submission and surrender, the closer Barb and I become to one another as we mutually submit to the reverence of Jesus Christ. you got to start there. Because God lays this out and says, now, if you've got two people who are submitting to me, guess what? It's going to eliminate a lot of chaos. Doesn't say that you're not going to have conflict and tension. You're going to have it. You're going to have it until you die. But what happens is mutual reverence to Jesus, mutual submission to the Lordship of Christ. Then he goes on to say, wives, be subject to your husband's as to the Lord. So God lays out this chain of command, if you will. Is the man better than the woman? No. No. Is the woman better than the man? No. But God in the marriage has given certain roles and certain responsibilities within the marriage. So this is what he says. Wives, subject yourself to, the, to, to your husband as if you were doing it unto the Lord. He goes on to say this. Husbands, love 
your wives as Christ loved the church and he was willing to die and be crucified and murdered for her. That's what he says right here. So that he might sanctify her, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she would be holy and blameless. Husbands, listen to me. Love your wives. Agapeo is the word in the Greek. Agape, it means being willing to die for unconditionally, sacrificially, laying your life down for your wife. Husband, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Do you know that when you do that, your wife desires to subject herself to you? The problem with, the problem is this, so many guys are so passive and they've ignored their responsibility. So when it comes to the wife really subjecting herself to the husband, the husband's not loving her, being willing to die for her, laying himself on the line for her. That's where it gets all muddy. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, sanctify her, set her apart, put her at a place just below your relationship with Jesus, esteem her high. That, that, that's the reason even after having five kids, here's what I know. I'm in two covenants today. I'm in a covenant with God that God made with me through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I am in a covenant with Barb that she and I both willfully entered some 25 years ago. I'm not in a covenant with Rachel, Benji, Jesse, Hannah, or Caleb. One day, they're going to leave. We're going to deal with this parenting piece next week. But God says, train up those children in the way they should go, and when they get older, they're not going to depart. They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Now, your job is to raise and train them, but I'm not in covenant with those kids. I'm training them to send them into the world to be warriors for the kingdom. Okay, so that's important. Now, husbands, love. Husbands, sanctify, set her apart, esteem her, be willing to die for it. Now, wives, subject yourself. The word subject there is a military term, and it means rank under the chain of command that I've put in place. But as we do what God's called us to do, our wives are willing to rank under, and they want to be a part of it. The problem is, the problem is, guys, We've got too much irresponsibility in the male population today. You see, here's what, we, here's what we've concluded here. Responsible guys will always have results, but irresponsible guys will always use reasons. No, 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 no. God calls us to be responsible. Responsibility is crucial. Ability without responsibility is a liability. So God's calling us to be responsible. What does he call the wives to? Subject yourself. Give, give God the attention that God's calling you to give that husband. And then he, then, then he says, respect your husbands. You know when the wife will respect the husband? is when we're leading like Christ. Now, whether he's doing it or not, wife, and you're married to a jacked up loser right now, you keep doing what God's called you to do. Now, don't negotiate and say, well, if he was better, I would then. No, God's already called you, show reverence, and subject yourself to. Now, here, 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 here's a clear up thing for me. Here's a clear up thing. I want you to get this. I was told right before we got married, and I was taught that when you and Barb come together, Tim, y'all are going to complete each other. The two are going to become one, and y'all are going to complete each other. Can I tell you something? 
I married a sinner that was under the blood of Jesus, and she married a sinner that was under the blood of Jesus. She couldn't even complete who she was, and I couldn't complete who I was. How can we complete each other? Jesus plus nothing equals completion. We both needed a relationship with the Savior. So I've heard people say, hey, y'all are married now. You're going to complete each other. Don't put that kind of pressure on the other person. They're not capable of doing it. To use the cliche, nobody is the fourth member of the Trinity. You didn't marry the fourth member of the Trinity, so don't empower them to be. How do you work it? When Barb and I got married, we now realize that we were able to complement one another in marriage. We could compliment. She could bring her gifts and her strengths and all this, and I could bring mine, and we could compliment. But we do not have the ability to complete each other. Here was another word. Now, if you're going to have a good marriage at work, you're going to have to learn how to compromise. Compromise is a death word. Compromise says give up some of who you are. I'll give up some of who I am, and we'll meet in the middle. The person who says meet me halfway is always a poor judge of distance. Don't play that game. You don't compromise. I don't teach my kids to compromise. Here's the word. Collaborate, which means bring all of you. I'll bring all of me. And whatever the issue that we're talking about, we will both bring all of who we are in Christ and we will collaborate, we will dialogue, we will talk about it, and then we'll make a resolve. Now, this just frees some of y'all up. Don't try to make the person you're married to your completer. They can't do it. They, they can't. And you will not find that teaching in the scripture. If my spouse could complete me, why the cross of Christ? It doesn't make any sense. It's, uh, it's crazy. So here's what I know about being in covenant. I got four things for you. Number one, it implies that I'm going to get up. I refuse to be lazy, apathetic, bum. It implies I'm in covenant now. I got to get up. It implies that I'm going to grow up, meaning I'm going to leave stranded adolescence. I'm going to move into manhood, and I've got to become the person God wants me to be. So I'm going to get up, I'm going to grow up, and then I'm going to show up, meaning get there on time, be there early, get ahead of the game. I always love getting up before anybody in my house gets up because when you get there early and you get rolling early, you get to be a part of creating the flow. When you get there on time, you get to go with the flow, and when you get there late, you're trying to figure out what is the flow. So as... Priest, prophet, protector inside my home, I want to get up and help set the tone for that day. Makes sense. And then, as I get up and grow up and show up, then I want to know what's up. And so, I've got to have a pulse of what's going on with Barb, what's going on inside my home. And when you know what's up, man, in observation and evaluation, you're able to lead effectively. Makes sense. Y'all just sitting there now. Come on. Now, we're trying to help you. So here's a question I would pose. Why do we struggle with communication and marriage so bad? All of us do. All of us have hiccups and headaches with it. Why do we struggle in communication so much? One reason would be this. We are wired so differently. We're wired differently. When I met Barb, 
I realized we don't even think the same way. It wasn't that she was from Canada and I was from Georgia. It was not that she grew up in Toronto and me in Noonan. I'm dealing with a person that I have no clue how they're wired. Do you realize that men and women are wired so differently? I ain't talking about just the plumbing. I'm talking about the wiring mentally. (laughs) Do you hear me? And so we're so different there. Number two, we don't understand each other. We have no compass. I could read Trent and Smalley. I could read all these great resources from James Dobson and all that stuff and how to focus on the family and how to be. Do you realize that Barb is the only person on the planet that's wired like Barb? And I am the only person on the planet wired like me? And, and as soon as you compare your spouse to somebody else, Comparison is the death of contentment. What I had to realize is she's fearfully and wonderfully made by God. I want to get to know who she is. But we had all these conflicts. Here was something so crazy for me. Have you ever said something stupid before it got off your lips real well? You're going, why did I say that? Anybody else in here struggle with thinking before you speak? Here's my acrostic for think. It's what I'm sharing truthful. It's what I'm sharing helpful. It's what I'm sharing inspiring. It's what I'm sharing necessary, T-H-I-N, and it's what I'm sharing, K-kind. I'm like, man, I can cross that true hurdle, but I get to helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind, and I strike out a lot. I've said so many stupid things in the 25 years of marriage that I look back going, I crushed her. Me and Nick were talking one day, he, he, and, and, and I don't know what was happening with he and Lisa, but they're not perfect either, but here's the deal. <laughs> Like Mike said, they got married in high school. I mean, I don't even know, middle school, whatever school they were in. But he was asking me a question about, you know, saying things and just embarrassed. You know, you feel embarrassed that you said it and you look back. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, I crushed her so bad one day. I said, and I I really didn't know I was doing it until it got off the tip of my tongue. And I'm like, that was stupid. That was stupid. He goes, really? And I said, Let's call her right now. And this was just a few months back. So I pick up the phone. I call Barb. She answers the phone. I said, Barb, Nick and I were having this conversation about one of the stupidest things probably I've ever said to you. And she goes, oh, yeah, Nick, let me tell you about it. (laughs) I'm like, wow. Because things that I find comical to her can be crushing. Things that I think or a BB come across as a boulder. And I've always looked going, well, well, let me tell you what the intent was in that statement. And she goes, well, let me tell you what the impact was of that statement. And, you know, we hide behind intent at times, but it's all about the impact. So over the next four weeks, and I'm going to challenge you to meet me in the Ask Me area when we're done today. But over the next four weeks, Chad and Elaine are going to go through like four great weeks of a marriage intensive. Now, I don't care where you're at. Maybe you're dating. Maybe you're young and married. Maybe you've been married for a while. But four weeks to center up. And they're going to be talking about uh, Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, and, uh, and Emerson Egrich. I've hung out with him on love and respect. And they're going to be breaking down four critical areas of marriage. And I want you to be a part of that to say, I've got to get some tools because we all need help. Come on. We all need help. 
Here's what, here's what I've come to realize. And John Eldridge is really good at painting this one up. Here's what I know about a woman. Every little girl growing up, as she moves into even being a lady, into being a woman, every young girl wants to know one thing. Am I worth fighting for? You, you, listen to me. Every girl growing up wants to know, are you willing to fight for me? It goes back to the Ephesians 5. You've got to be willing to love her as Christ loves the church and die for her. Every girl wants a man, not a little boy, not a stranded adolescent fool. They want a man who's willing to fight for them. Here's the problem with most of us dudes. Back to the Solomon syndrome of Ecclesiastes. The thrill of the chase is the book of Ecclesiastes. A lot of guys are good at the chase, but once they catch it, they lose the chase any longer in their journey. And women want to be chased. Barb, more than just being noticed, she wants to be wanted. She wants to be pursued. She wants me to chase her heart. And do you know what I know about other females as much marriage counseling over the last 25 years that we've done? And you guys know it as well. The, that girl, that woman, that mom, she wants to be chased by her husband. She wants to be pursued. She wants you to take interest in who she is. That, that's important. Here, here's something I've come to realize. Women want to know that they are loved with affection. They want open conversation. They want meaningful dialogue. And they just want to be able to share their heart and their feelings and all this stuff. A lot of us dudes are relationally, emotionally, we're, we're, we're stunted in our growth. And if and if we don't listen to their heart, and if we don't get into what they're feeling and what they're really saying, we're going to miss who they are. Do you know that most women, their anger springs from this whole thing of not feeling appreciated and feeling loved? When a girl doesn't feel loved by her husband, it creates this anger. When she doesn't feel that she's being chased and pursued, it, it, it creates this loneliness of, of her soul. That's important to know, guys. They want to know, am I worth fighting for? It's not an event for a woman. It's an environment. And once that environment is created, man, it just starts to flourish with health and strength. You people who have been married for a while, who have learned some of this stuff, you go, it is. It's, it's, it's an environment. It's a culture. It's got to be created where she knows when I'm with you and I'm home and, and, and we're together, I feel safe. Come on. And, and, and most of us dudes want to feel like we're, we're the heroes anyway. I mean, but when we do that, women struggle. Here's a few things. Women struggle with insecurities. Guys do too. I'll hit that one in a minute. But women struggle with, is my face pretty enough? Am I too heavy? Am I too thin? And, you know, is my butt too big? And all, Come on. Y'all ain't never heard these conversations. Come on. Am I telling the truth? Man, and it's like they look in the mirror and all of a sudden this little glamour Hollywood profile comes about and they're like, oh, I remember when I used to be that thin. I mean, come on, girls struggle with insecurities. And when we're validating them, you're beautiful, you're more beautiful now than when we first got married. Yeah, I mean, I find you so attractive. You're the best thing on the planet. You know what that does? It lets them breathe and they feel safe. Here's something I know about Barb. 
but this is true about a lot of women. They want to make sure their household looks pretty good. So when she's asked me for the 40th time, would you please get your jeans and tennis shoes and drawers off the floor by your bed? And I was planning on it. (laughs) They didn't smell that bad yet, but here's the deal. Having the house look look good? Smell good, yes. You walk into my house, there's more candles lit. Mickey and a bunch of the girls came over one night. There was about 30, 40 girls that came over there, and they stayed so long. It was about 11.45. I just started going through the house blowing out candles. Mickey goes, when the brother starts blowing out candles, it's time to go home. But those candles, and it's that smell. And even when Benji comes home from college, he goes, Mom, I love the smell of our house. But is that not important to women? I mean, is it, is, is it not? I mean, just junk thrown all over the place. And he goes, would you please straighten it up? Now, my garage looks like a bomb went off. But I'm telling you, once you walk into the house, that matters. When, when she can't find something she's looking for, I'm like, oh, 911, what is going on? But that's a, women are wired that way. Me and Neil were talking about this this week, my buddy Neil. He goes, you know, he said the, 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 the crazy thing was even when we got married, the financial support and commitment, she just wanted to know how much we made. She didn't care if it was 25000 or 50000 or 100000 And I said, Neil, it's funny. When Barb and I got married, we made 22000 a year when we first got married. She goes, I don't care what the amount is. I know what I've got. And it's that financial security and support knowing, all right, this is how much we've got to play with. That's important to a female. Women are more open to intimacy if it's laced with affection. I had a guy tell me years ago, men are like bottle rockets and women are like crock pots. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And I find it, I realized what he meant. I'm like, I didn't know what that meant. I was stopping over as soon as I crossed the South Carolina border going, I got to get fireworks. No, but, but I'm like, what does that mean? But do you realize the affection and having that uh, environment created for hours upon hours? I mean, that's romance. Here's another thing. Women care about their husband's behavior. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I didn't know when, right before we got married and we went to that little Chinese restaurant and we were sitting there enjoying this meal and man, it was all good. And I got down to the bottom of that bowl and I said, man, I can't get all of that soup out. And man, I like all that black pepper and all that stuff, man. And, and I picked that bowl up and just drank it right there in the restaurant. I didn't know I didn't read Emily Post. I remember the first time we went out and I'm like, what is all this silverware, this formal dinner? I didn't know which fork to start with, right? I'm like, but they care about our behavior. They don't want us to act like we're stupid in public. We, we got a chance of being able to get by with it at home, but let's act right. Right? Does that work this way in your house? Right? And I know you're dumb and stupid at times, but when you're out in public, don't, don't, don't pick that bowl up and drink it again. I'm like, all right, I won't pick it up and drink it again. And Dennis and Jackie over here laughing. And here's the cool thing about when you start to do one of these kind of messages. I mean, one dude came up to me at the end and he goes, me and my wife had conflict last night. He said, you were making points and she just kept elbowing me. I'm like, I know. The good thing about being able to deliver it is Barb was sitting way over there and she couldn't hit me. <laughs> but here's what I know about 
men, women want to know, am, am I really worth fighting for? Men want to know, do I have what it takes to be a man? And it's the John Eldridge wild at heart premise stuff right here. In the heart of every man, there's this desperate desire for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. I mean, it's the wild at heart. It's the William Wallace. It's the John Wayne. I mean, us dudes, I mean, man, I want a battle to fight. I want to go out and win. That's the reason I hate soccer, because you can play a whole game and finish in a tie, and everybody high-fives. How did y'all do? We tie. Well, then that's not the way we play. I like baseball, basketball, and football. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. There's a fight. You know what I'm saying? That's really not like him games. I'm like, how did y'all do? You never hear, we tied. Unless you're in T-ball. And then the only thing that matters is who brought the snacks, and that doesn't even factor in. But guys, man, that's a way... That's the way we're wired. And, and you know what I know about dudes? Most guys, their deepest fear is this right here. They're afraid that they're going to be exposed. They're afraid they're going to be seen as a poser. And they're afraid they're going to be exposed as not having what it takes to be a man. Do you know why guys struggle so much of really involving themselves in deeper friendship? Because we are so stinking insecure and fragile ourselves. I, 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 you can hang out with a bunch of 75, 80-year-old dudes and you'll hear this. It's still dig me hero statements. Dig me meaning, hey, hey you, know, you know I'm good. Man, we went fishing the other day and I caught this 14-pound fish, man. And I'm going to tell you, man, it took me, it took me an hour to reel that thing into the boat. Why do old guys tell them stories? You know I've got what it takes to be a man, don't you? <laughs> that is what a guy will still fight. Benji, uh, last, his last year in high school, he came up to me and grabbed me by my hand, which crushes me all the time. And he looked at me and he said, I bet you weren't this big when you were in high school. <laughs> and I looked at him and said, bet you I'm not that big right now. <laughs> he'll come up and grab you by the hand and shake your hand and people I'm like save it what's up bro <laughs> because guys do that when they shake hands they're jockeying for position I went straight tater bump uh uh you ain't crushing my hand no more I am free with who I am come on Joe free with who I am most men, oh, their anger really comes when they feel disrespected. I mean, where women feel like, man, there's no affection and love. Guys, if we feel like we're being disrespected by our wives, we get upset. If we feel like some dude cut us off in traffic and we're being disrespected, we want to bow up. You call the environment. If we feel disrespected, we're ready to bow up and fight. And I, and I really thought that by the time I was 52, some of that would be out of me, and it's not. <laughs> Why? Because we're fragile, and we want to know, do I have what it takes to be a man? Men feel pressure wanting to make sure they provide for their family. And a lot of guys, man, when they don't feel like they, they're bringing in enough or things start to kind of get out of balance with their finances, guys struggle, man. We, we want to provide for y'all. We, we want to be the breadwinner. We, we're okay with you helping out, but we, we really do want to provide big time. 
And we want you to realize that what we bring is good. And I mean, we'll get out there and work all day and sweat all day. And I mean, I was out in the yard yesterday with my buddy Don. We were cutting limbs and I woke up this morning. And I'm like, man, I should have wore a hat. But, but, but we love pulling limbs and climbing trees and digging holes. Right? Because we feel like we're providing. Here, here's another thing I know. Guys really do appreciate physical intimacy. Did y'all hear me? Chad, my mic must have went bad right there. (laughs) Guys really love physical intimacy. Now, we do, we're starting to get clues that creating the environment and affection and all that stuff matters. But that's the reason most dudes, like if you were to pick up some of my friends' Bibles, their verses they've got highlighted would be like Genesis 2.25 which says the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. That's the kind of stuff we highlight, right? 1 Corinthians 7, 4, it says the wife's body is no longer hers. It's her husband. We read that and go, praise God, no wonder they call it the good book, baby. I mean, right? We're all whacked. Yeah, he said it because I'm talking to us. And, 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 and so, but what we've got to realize, what we've got to realize is all these other ingredients add to the intimacy in a, in a relationship. I mean, doing those little things and fostering that right environment, they all matter. Now, let me get back to some communication. Here's a premise thought. Every healthy, every healthy relationship will experience conflict and tension. If I meet a couple who says, we never argue, we never have any conflict, we never have any tension, you know what it tells me? One of y'all are dead in the relationship. (laughs) One of you are living codependent and you're enabling the other person. Having conflict in marriage is a normal part of marriage. Having conflict is a normal part. Even the most godliest people on the planet sometimes disagree. We disagree. Every conflict and tension, when it happens, there's usually two ingredients to it. You ready for this? There's an issue, and then there's differing views of the issue. Y'all ever find that to be true? So here's what happens. Back to what I said earlier. When Barb and I got married... You've got now a girl who's 27 years old and a guy who's 28 years old getting married. She's got 27 years of life experience and expectations that she's bringing to the dance. I've got 28 years of life experience and expectations that I'm bringing to the dance. Incompatibility are grounds for a great marriage. Because all of these expectations, here's a working definition. Expectation means to have premeditated resentment within the heart. Because as soon as you have an expectation, you place the demand on the other person that they should come through the way you want them to. And I'm telling you, you bring all these expectations, which means when you don't come through the way I want you to come through, I've already premeditated, even though I can't tell myself that subconsciously all the time, but I've already premeditated that I'm going to resent you. 
This, this is where so many problems and fights and all this chaos happens. Really? Yeah. So, so when there is a disagreement and this argument or some tension, you've got an issue and you've got differing viewpoints of the issue. Here's what I've come to realize in almost 25 years of marriage. God has allowed Barb to be used by him in a great way to sand off a lot of the rough edges on me. Now, I, I, I probably have contributed to a few of hers, but believe me, mine were a lot more than hers. And so when we get together and all of a sudden, man, there's this conflict and tension that happens, we made this statement about five years into the marriage. Because we used to look at each other almost in conflict at times like we were in competition with each other. Anybody ever done that? Like you were competing for who's going to be right? I mean, we know in marriage, I mean, anytime there's an issue, one person's right and the other person's a husband. So here, here's what we've come to realize. Here's what we realize. But there, there would be this kind of, and, and we looked at each other about five or six years into the marriage and said, I am for you. I am not against you. I want what's best for you. Because there were times in that marriage where I felt like we were almost competing and headbutting and fighting each other. And it was like, that was so unhealthy. And so God will use you and your spouse, when, when we come together, God will use you to help sharpen each other and complement each other so you can become the person God wants you to be. I mean, we're not in competition with each other. So marriage, the response is so crucial. Now, let me give you this, and I want to wrap it up. So how do you, how do you work through it? Anytime there's conflict and tension, learn to listen. It's going to be simple, one-on-one, but I'm telling you right now, this will help you whether you're married, whether you're in school, whether you're dealing with your parents. Listen to me. Learn to listen. What did they just say? Repeat back to the person what you just heard. Back to the illustration. I've asked you to please pick up your stuff on the floor. Here's how we, we do it. We don't say, your side of the bed's just as crappy as mine. <laughs> now, I know none of y'all talk this way, but I'm just saying, just in case you were to go there. It's bad foreplay, guys. But anyway, here, here's, here's the point. I've asked you to pick it up. Yes. Here's what I heard you say. Quick listening means I repeat back to you what you just said. You would really like for me to finally pick that stuff up off the floor that's been there for quite a few weeks, even though it don't smell too bad yet. But you would like for me to pick that up and put it away. You're vacuuming. We got people coming over. That's what you said. Yes. Does that eliminate a lot of conflict? When you say something and the person repeats back to you what you've said to validate that they've actually heard what you said, now I got a chance to communicate. Number two, identify the issue. Always focus on identifying the issue. Right out of the gate, we're not trying to problem solve. We just want to collaborate and go, now what is the issue we're really dealing with here? Whatever it is. Three, address the issue but don't attack the person. As soon as you start making you statements and you always statements and you never statements, I'm telling you, that is a bad slope to be on. You're not going to have any meaningful dialogue. So all we want to do is say, all right, so here's the issue. Let's make sure we address the issue. 
You start attacking the other person, I don't care if it's a friendship, marriage, whatever, it's not going to work out well. Now, here's, here's something crucial for Barb and I. Deal with one issue at a time. Don't let it all build up and play the archaeologist where you dig up about 47 different finds and then all of a sudden say, well, it's about time we talked. And so all of a sudden you thought you were going to talk about picking up clothes off the floor and you're talking about your mama, you're talking about... Let's take one issue at a time. Let's do a living autopsy on it so that we can move in the right direction. I'm, I'm still working on this. Next one. Timing is crucial. When you deal with conflict is just as important as dealing with the conflict. I was told early on, do not let the sun go down on your anger, which to me, I thought meant before the sun goes down and before you go to bed, you better make sure you deal with this. Can I tell you, at about 10, 11 o'clock at night, you get two people that are mentally, emotionally, and physically tired, and you try to deal with conflict? It is chaos. The word, do not let the sun go down on your anger, literally meant, don't let the sun go down with you being in denial that something is going on. And I'm like, man... Once I realized that to say, we both know that there's this issue that we need to address. Now, we're both physically, mentally, and emotionally spent. But can we set up a time tomorrow to maybe talk about this when we're both refreshed? Do you know that saved me a lot of headaches and a lot of heartaches? So, here's another thing. When there is conflict, you're dealing with one issue at a time. And you're not necessarily trying to fix the world, but you're trying to at least address it to have movement. Do not... Include your family, your friends, and your kids into what you're talking about. Now, I've seen this one dirty the relational water so bad because all of a sudden there's tension, but before you know it, the sister and the mama and the coworker, what are we doing? And then all of a sudden you get married and you start having kids, and we will tell them, you do not have permission to interfere with our relationship. I don't care if you're 10, Caleb, or 12, Hannah, or 15. Your name's not Dr. Phil, bro, and nobody's asking you for counsel right now. But as soon as you bring one of the kids in and try to get them to take sides, shame on you. That's a bad gig right there. Here's another one. Be willing to see things from a different perspective. All of a sudden, there's this issue, there's this tension. No one person is always right. Nobody has perfect vision with all conflict at all times. Here's another one right here. Be willing to be vulnerable. Share your heart, your soul, your feelings, and say, hey, we trust each other. And then be willing to admit when you're wrong. Is marriage and a healthy marriage a possibility? Yeah. Is marriage work? Yeah. Yeah, because you get two imperfect people coming together who are making this irrevocable promise before God and you go, man, we want to do it right. What's the key? Mutual submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When both of you are submitting to Christ as the head and the authority, I'm telling you, the communication and the health and the intimacy and all this stuff has got a chance to really work. Make sense? Let's pray.